0: all right good evening good evening welcome to bible study we're glad you're here so let's take a few moments and pray and get started so father god yes thank you for uh, your love for us we want to start off by thanking you for loving us so much I start off tonight by thanking you for caring about us and looking out for us. And you're the one who provides. You're the one who brings peace. You're the one who brings joy. You're the one who fills us with your love. And so we thank you tonight. We praise you tonight. We ask God your blessing on this time. We ask that we would be open and ready to receive all that you want to say. And I pray God that if uh, you, there's something tonight that we need to change our minds about, that you'd help us to change our minds, uh, that we wouldn't just keep walking in bad ideas, we wouldn't just keep walking in ideas that are holding us back or keeping us from your blessing or, or holding us back from receiving all that you want to give us. But God, I pray that we'd be able and willing tonight to think about something differently and to uh, permanently begin a process of changing the way we're seeing things, changing the way we're receiving things, changing the way we're understanding things and seeing things from a whole different perspective whole different outlook. So God, tonight I pray that you would challenge us and ask God that we'd be open and ready to receive that challenge and ready to change where needed and necessary. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you need a Bible, they're available right there on the table and you can feel free to grab that at any point. We're going to be looking into the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. All right, Exodus chapter three, verses twenty one and twenty two. So I can read that.
1: And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed to toward this people so that when you leave you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in for our house for our articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and you
0: will plunder the Egyptians. All right, thanks for reading that. If you look up, uh, you just go up a few verses and tell me what's going on. Tell me the context of this. This is uh, Moses, and what's going on here? anybody?
1: That's talking about how he's going to uh, free the Israelites from slavery.
0: All right, now Moses, uh, when, when Moses is first uh, presented with this savory opportunity,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm super hungry. <laughs> is he excited about it? Lukewarm. How's he feel about this? He's not really into it. He, he's arguing a little bit. He's pointing out problems with the plan. Uh, it, it fortunately he's arguing with God however uh, God's plan God's purpose God's timing God's person that's who Moses was and so he's arguing with God about his plan and God's going to win that argument and so as part of what God is speaking to him I believe what you're seeing here is uh, is that he's just telling him what's going to happen and so this is a word this is a word of prophecy for Moses and for Aaron, and for the children of Israel. But specifically, this is a word for who? Who is this word for? Do you see that? Moses. Moses. Huh? Moses. God gives words for individual people, even in the Old Testament. And what, that's what you see here. You see a word for Moses. And it's to encourage him and it's to let him know what's going to happen and, and what's going to be taking place. And so God says. God says. And so I wanted to start tonight by talking about God giving us words. And he does give us words. God gives us words so that not only does he want to encourage us in the moment, but I think one of the reasons that we record words over people is say at a prophetic presbytery, <laughs> or uh, one of the reasons is that we encourage people to write words down if they can, or to baptism we record the word and we give it to them. Uh, well, the reason we do that is so not only do they have a word of encouragement in the moment, a word of direction, a word that is telling them what's going to happen, or, or is, is trying to encourage them to move forward and whatever it is that God's speaking to them about, but it's also something that they can then in turn encourage themselves with later on by reading it or by listening to it again. There have been times where I have a a cassette tape, an actual cassette tape of a word that I received years ago, uh, probably almost 30 years ago, down at uh, where Bill Hammond is at Christian International. We get speakers from there for our conferences. And I was there and they were having a presbytery where there were three people up front. They were all national national prophets, international apostle prophet types, then they were just calling people out. And so they called me in June out at the conference, and they prophesied over us. And I've listened to that tape, I don't know, probably seven or eight times in the last 30 years. And it's usually at times where I just forget what's going on, or I begin to get discouraged, or I begin to doubt, or I can't see it anymore. I'm losing vision or something like that. And I'll listen to it again and I'll encourage myself with that again because that's why God gives the word. You know, Obviously, this word that was given to Moses was written down. Who's the person that wrote it down? Moses. Moses wrote it down. And so I, it would appear to me that he understood a principle behind receiving what God says as it not just being a passing thing, but it being something that God wants us to remember and God wants us to pull out every now and then and look at it, encourage ourselves with it. I mean, we all have it. He wrote it down, but we all have this word that he received. And it's become a part of something bigger. And it's become a part of something that God gave to us so that we can understand him better. We can understand who he is and how he operates and what he's doing better. And so I I would imagine there were some points during the time that Moses was dealing with moving his family toward Egypt. There were problems along the way because Moses' sons weren't circumcised. I don't know if you remember any of this, but his wife got really upset with him and, and uh, the sons had to be circumcised because there was an angel of death ready to kill Moses, ready to wipe him out. So she went ahead and, and the sons were circumcised and she threw the, 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 the products of the circumcision at Moses. You made me a bride of blood. You remember any of this story? I mean, he might have had to pull this out and read it then. I don't know. <laughs> If you if you you know, if you you know what's going on, I mean it's bad enough you're traveling across the desert, but then you got that happening to you too. So then you get to Egypt and you got stuttering Moses and Aaron, and they're trying their best and the plagues are coming and going, and and Pharaoh's getting his heart hardened, or he's hardened his heart, or God's hardening his heart, and they just keep going, and the magicians are doing their tricks, and Moses and Aaron are, are showing their signs and all that stuff. He might have had to pull this out every now and then and read it. I don't know. I I probably would have. But it it told us something. It told him something about what God was going to do. Because if you read what he says there, he not only says that the people are going to be set free, he takes it it up a notch, doesn't he? (laughs) Maybe even two notches. He's like, not only are the people going to be set free, But they're going to get gold and silver as gifts from their neighbors. They're going to get fancy clothes to wear and they're going to go out of Egypt not only as freed slaves, they're going to go out of Egypt as conquerors with plunder. That's how they would leave. So he dialed it up. That's at least one notch, probably two. You think that's two? You're dialing that up? So, not only are you going to be set free, they're going to leave with more than they came in with. They're going to leave with silver and gold. In the message, it says, I know that the king of Egypt won't let you go unless forced to, so I'll intervene and hit Egypt where it hurts. <laughs> All my miracles will send them reeling. At wish they'll be glad to send you off. I'll see two of that these people get a hearty send off by the Egyptians. When you leave, you won't leave empty handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any guests in her house for objects of silver and gold, jewelry, extra clothes. You'll put them on your sons and your daughters. Oh, you'll clean the Egyptians out. <laughs> that's the message. But that's the idea he gives him. He's like, You're not going to just squeak out of the land. And this is now. Remember, this is long before. This is way back. Moses hadn't even showed up yet. There's God telling him this. He's like, "You're not just going to barely make it out. We're not going to sneak you out of there. You're going to leave with silver and gold and jewels and clothes, and you're going to leave with plunder. You're cleaning them out before you go. They're going to willingly give it to you to send you off. So, so even more." then just uh this'll work even more than yeah don't worry about it we'll we'll get you know we'll we'll get them out of there this is you're going to go out with a bang all right so i want you to think about that for a second your dealings or say in your attitude toward god do you see god that way i mean seriously I mean, we, we tend to look at God as you know helping us to scrape by. Do we ever look at Him any other way? I mean, when we think about victory, we think about winning by a point or something. You're not blowing them out. Right? I mean, think about how you think about victory with God. A last-second shot? You know, I don't know. You won by two? You won by four? You won by six? I don't know. How do you see it? How do you prefer to see it? Let's say you don't have any details on the victory; you just hear the word victory. What's your first thought? You're going to squeak by, or are you going to win big? Your first thought: I, I, I'm going to I'm going to just squeak this one out, and I'm going to barely make it, or or we're going out of here with a with with a band plan, right? I'm yeah, thinking win
1: comfortably.
0: Comfortably, that's good. That's good. That's good. Cause I don't know a lot of Christians think that way. A lot of Christians that I meet, they think about it, and and if they think of victory at all, they're thinking, wow, is, you know, if they even have enough faith, and you think about how people think about victory, I'll try to have enough faith for that. Like, I'm barely gonna make it. I'm barely gonna squeak it out. When the victory that God has for us may be this kind of victory. It may be something that, even if he doesn't tell us what it's going to be, maybe it's going to be that we're going to clean them out. Maybe it's going to be we're going to win by a 100. Maybe it's going to be that we're going to win going away. Or maybe it'll be the greatest comeback ever. We're going to come from behind and we're going to pull it out the last second. Maybe. I don't know. If we get a word on it, though, then we know, if you choose to believe it. And there are certain things in the Bible, certain things in the New Testament, where God does give us the word on where we're at and what's going to happen. He talks and says that that He has given us authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and over every work of the devil. Are we trampling? Are we tiptoeing? Because we don't want to disturb them. All right? Because we have a word on that. Are starting to follow what I'm saying here a little bit? We have a word on that. Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why are we living in fear? When we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we think about he arose victorious over death and over hell and over the grave. Victorious. Over those things. Why are we so afraid of death and hell and the grave? Why does that even bother us anymore? We have a word on that. A sure word on it. We have a sure word on powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. We have a sure word. We have a sure word that the reason that the Son of God, the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore. What's the hesitation? If you're following what I'm saying, what I'm saying is there are certain things in the New Testament, certain things that the victory has been proclaimed already. Not only the victory, so we have to wonder about it, but the manner of victory has been Proclaim Trampling upon snakes and scorpions. Yeah. Jesus Christ appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Those are big words. Trampling upon, destroying, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Those are all big words. And we're either going to choose to believe what God says, encourage ourselves, in what God says, or not. But when we don't encourage ourselves in that, how easy is it to not live in that victory? Really easy. How easy is it to be deceived into thinking that we don't have that victory or or live in fear or to live somehow in in half victory or half defeat or however you want to see it? Really easy. Because we slip back into that. We slip back into our thinking, slips back into it, and then our actions begin to slip back, and our whole demeanor begins to slip back into it all the time. So there needs to be something in us that we will encourage ourselves, like Moses here. Let's write it down if we need to write it down. All those things that I I was I was quoting to you, the reason that or, or paraphrasing, however you want to say it. The reason I can paraphrase all those things is that I've prayed all those things time and time and time again. I've encouraged myself with those words time and time and time again. Sometimes when we're about to go out and do evangelism, I'll speak those words during prayer time and time and time again. Andy, you say it every week. You say the same thing every week. Yeah, darn right I do. Still believing it. Still encouraging myself with it. Still proclaiming it. Still speaking it out loud. Yep. Yeah. And if you're bored hearing it, I don't care. I mean, really. I'm serious. Some of you have been hearing it for 25 years. Right? Not saying anything to anybody. (laughs) But I keep encouraging myself with it. I do. I keep proclaiming it because I'm going to live there. I'm going to live there. And 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 just like every other human being on the planet, my mind begins to drift or my mind begins to wander or my mind begins to slip back into old ways of thinking. I'm going to remind myself of the truth and I'm going to speak that truth and I'm going to proclaim that truth. Whether I'm reading off a 3 by 5 card that's taped to a mirror somewhere or to my car dash, or wherever it is, or I'm pulling it out of my pocket and reading it off a scrap of paper, which I've done lots of times, or it's written on my hand, which I've done lots of times, I'm going to remind myself of it, and I'm going to keep moving forward with it. Or I guess at this point I should probably put it as a note in my phone and then alarm myself <laughs> to read it. And have it pop up on my phone or something. <laughs> Who writes on their hand anymore? All right. So God says. That's the end of my little rant there. My opening rant is over.
1: <laughs> Please proceed to the, exits at the front. And
0: back to the back. We'll proceed into the Bible study now. God gives favor. And, and I want you to see this as favor. I mean, this went from a, I'm going to deliver my people to, I'm going to give my people lots of favor. That's what this passage goes to. And, and he's granting favor. You see, who are the slaves in this scenario? I mean, who starts off as the slaves? Who are the slaves, literally, in Egypt? Yeah, the Israelites are the slaves. They're all the slaves. And so... What he does is he goes from the beginning of these verses to the end of these verses. The slaves not only are free, but they're the ones leaving with all the goods. They're leaving with the gold. They're leaving with the silver. You see, they receive favor from those that had been their master. To the point, not only do they receive freedom, not only do they receive; these people are glad to be at peace with them, but they're also given stuff as they're leaving. They're walking out with stuff. So, so it goes to it's so like you think if you're if your helps just leaving, you'd be upset. Well, they're not even upset. They're glad. They're at peace, and they're happy to be at peace with them. By the time this is done. So happy to be at peace with them. They're taking off bracelets and they're taking off jewelry and they're just tossing it to them. There, go take it with you. <laughs> like yeah, keeping you on your toes. So they're giving. It, they they in a sense, and I've heard it said in, in uh, talking about how the Egyptians. They didn't just let the Israelites go. They, they built a bridge of gold and silver for them to leave on. They, they literally handed them gold and silver to leave. And if you think, yeah, that's an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing that in the, in the amount of time it took Moses and Aaron, from the time they began to negotiate with Pharaoh until the time that the Israelites left, they went from being slaves to being rewarded to, for, to, be, to, to precious metals and jewels and fine clothing being heaped on them as they're walking out the door. It all turned around like that. Just like that. And we get so stuck at how things have got to happen or how things always happen or it's got to be this way or it's always been this way or wow, you know. Yet we we don't even take into account we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God that changes the hearts of of kings who can change the course of rivers. And He can change a nation just like that. I know some of you intercede for our nation. You intercede for other nations in the world. And I want to encourage you in that. That's one of the things that when I, when I first began, God was teaching me to pray. I was interceding for countries. I was interceding for other nations. And I had a listing of all these nations of the world that I would just go through every day. I'd do five of them. And i just pray for each of these nations. I'd take an hour to pray for these nations. And, and I, you know whatever that is, 12 minutes apiece. And there'd be specific things, and I'd pray for specific things about those nations. And then there'd be other times where I'd just receive words, and I'd write them down, or visions, and I'd write them down. And, And so, all this would happen, you know, and just go down through these things. And it just taught me something, that God changes things through prayer. God can change the world. He can change nations. He can change the course of nations. I mean, watching what happened with the former Soviet Union, some of you guys are too way, way too young. It happened before you were born. But, you know, I grew up with this this massive power that was, you know, stockpiling nuclear weapons and they were all armed they were all aimed at us. And we were stockpiling nuclear weapons and they were all aimed at them. And there was this constant friction with this country and they seemed larger than life taking over countries all around them and, and, and making all these satellite nations and, and having these massive armies and tanks and, and train systems and launching people into space and we're launching people into space and it just seemed like such a standoff. We got a whole, you know, a whole, you know, just, conglomeration of countries all standing up against them in Europe and they're standing up against us with their conglomeration of countries and it seemed like this impossible thing that was going on and then one day it just all changed I mean obviously it was changing more than just one day but from our perspective how long did that take anybody that was alive then they can remember that it didn't take very long at all It's like they started talking about peace and they started talking about this and that and we heard rumors that they were collapsing economically and and then all of a sudden you're watching TV and they're tearing down the Berlin Wall. And the whole world changed like that. And it's hard to understand that unless you live through it. To, To watch something like that happen, to watch history like that. I remember standing up with the wall that divided East and West Germany. I was in a a village that was on the border between the two and i I still have a piece of the wall as a piece of cement. I just walked up to it and I was praying over it, and I laid hands on it while I was there and I don't even know how much faith I had in that or anything you know, but I just laid hands on it and I don't know how many thousands of people have done the same thing and I'm for sure not taking any credit. I just grabbed a piece of it and walked away, but just just really, you know, praying over it and stuff. And that was back in probably 1984, maybe 1983, 84. I was there, and this was 89. I mean, five years later. Seriously, it's like just tearing the thing down. Yeah, God can change things, and He does change things. We need to have a bigger picture and a bigger expectation for that. These people went from being their masters to happy to help them go and to bless them on the way. So God tells Moses, he says, the people will not leave empty-handed. Somebody look up Genesis fifteen fourteen. This is a word Abraham had. Genesis 15, 14. But I will bring judgment on the
1: nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions.
0: All right. Now, this word was given a long time before. There were generations in between Abraham. I mean, it's Genesis, that's Genesis 15. We're in Exodus 3. All right? You can figure out how far back that was. And yet, what did he say? He said he prophesied this was going to happen. Way back then. Hundreds, hundreds of years before. I mean, they were in Egypt for 400 years. But hundreds of years before, hundreds and hundreds of years before, it was prophesied that they would leave with great possessions. They were slaves. Slaves do not leave with great possessions. And yet it was prophesied that they would. Hundreds of years before, and then it was given as a word to Moses here in Exodus 3 that this is what was going to happen, that they would leave with great substance, they would not be destitute, and they would have not only what they needed for the journey, but more. He would give them more. And I want you to think about the people that handed them that that the money, and handed them the gold, and handed them the silver, and the jewels, and hand them the the clothing and all of that stuff. I want you to think about their attitude towards the Israelites as they were leaving. Contrast that with Pharaoh. What was Pharaoh's attitude the whole time? Not going to let you go. And he kept hardening his heart. God hardened his heart. He kept hardening his heart. And he kept saying, no, no, no. No, even though plagues were coming down, even though there was judgment coming down, over and over and over again, and he would lie about it and say, okay, you can go, ha, no you can't. And he just kept changing his mind. He'd be like, you can go, no you can't. You can go, no you can't. Can't go, can, can't. More plagues. But you see in the people a different attitude. You see in the people an attitude... Will you give us some gold and silver? Yeah, here you go. They blessed them on the way out. And there's something about this I want you to see, and that is the people don't always have the same heart and the same attitude as the king. And that's okay. And I found that in a lot of places. Traveling in a lot of places in the world I think people are a lot nicer and friendlier and more hospitable than governments are. And that's just what I found. But it's so hard not to think of places by their government, isn't it? Because you see a regime, right? And so you, you see the attitude of a regime, you see... The, the, the way that they're treating people. You see the way that they're looking at the rest of the world. You're seeing the way that they're speaking to the rest of the world. Or they're speaking to people. And, and you equate the people to that. And yet, in this case, and in lots of cases in my own life, meeting people is a whole lot different than looking at who's in charge of government. Because a lot of times, there is a huge gulf between those two things. And so as we pray... I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for people. All right? You can pray for governments. Because they do have an effect on, on what happens within a country. They do have an effect on the people there. You know, I think of China. And and there's, there's literally millions of people that meet in people's homes in China and they study the Bible. And they love God. But there's a government that's there that will kill every one of them. They'll put them in prison and they will kill them, eventually. Why do I say that? Because that's what they've done. You know, these Christians that were meeting in Beijing, they, they met for an Easter service, they were rounded up like cattle. Their leadership was put in prison and eventually killed. Of course, they don't talk about that. That's not in the news. You didn't see that in the news, did you? I didn't. But that's what happened. And the people the people in China know that. You know, when I, I i sent the story to Aaron when I saw the uh the story on it. I sent her the story. And she would just tell me that the people there, they know what happens. And I'm not I'm not trying to uh excuse their behavior at all. I'm just saying that the people are not the government. And even in a representative republic like we have, the people are not the government. Right? It's not. And so we need to look at, and I want to encourage you to look at, nations as people, first and foremost. And if you want to pray for governments, go ahead. But you need to see a nation for its people. You know, I think of a place like Iran. What a weird government they have. And and rude, too. And I'm sure they consider us rude also, but they're just pretty rude. You know, from our perspective. And we're probably pretty rude from their perspective. But you know what? There's a nation of young people there. A nation of young people that the government is super worried about. Because they're better educated... And they're better connected to the rest of the world than any generation before them. And they have good reason to worry. Because those young people may not agree with them. In fact, most polls within their own country say they don't. And so what's going to happen when they come into power? Who knows? I don't know. But I I often wonder if we could travel there wonder what the people would be like. Because the places we have been, I mean, we've sat right on the border of Iran. In Azerbaijan, there's a big door there. Other side of the door is Iran. We're just right at the door. One guy watching the door. That's it. What were the people like? Because the people were going back and forth through the door. Because there was a city, we were right in a city in Azerbaijan that's divided by the the border with Iran. So half the cities in Iran, half the cities in Azerbaijan, and the people just pass through that door. They don't even bother them. And if the people on our side of the door, which they are the same people, are the same as people on the other side of the door, they're pretty friendly, pretty welcoming, pretty helpful. I think. Kind of liked them. Yeah. I probably like the people on the other side of the door too. Since they're the same people, you know, they're just going back and forth. And I only brought that up to illustrate the point that that we need to see have a, a better perspective. And people are people. And people need Jesus from our perspective. All right? So that's what we're praying for. All right. So... Neighbors will give you gold and silver. That was the word that was given to him. And in Exodus 12:36 it came to pass. You can look there if you want to. If you don't believe me, you can look in Exodus 12:36. And so it came to pass. Uh, now, there's been some argument about this verse uh, because it says, you ask your neighbors. Uh, Because there were some people that believed that the Israelites lived completely separately from the Egyptians. And yet, if you look in Exodus 2-3, it would indicate that they all lived together. And when you live with someone, uh, most of the time, when you live around people and you live together and you live among people, uh, you begin to have things in common with them. And you begin to share things with them. And you become friends. That's what just happens when you live in proximity to people. At least a lot of times, the way that these people had to live, they had to live communally. And and if you look at uh, if you look at people from this part of the world that continue to live in that part of the world, they live somewhat communally. And it's a lot more communal than we live. You know, part of our nation and part of our values as a nation has to do with individualism. Uh, that was a part of so you think about the people that came here. Number one. And in the, in the people that kind of founded our country and then the people that moved west, uh, whether you're talking about the U.S. or Canada, no. you know, these were pioneers. These were people that were looking for their own space, looking for their own land. And the same types of people moved west across the continent. And they valued their individual freedoms and written right into our founding documents, or whole ideas about individual freedoms, but the whole world doesn't share that with us. That's something that was fairly unique to our experiment as we were uh, beginning to move out and establish our nation here. And so uh, even people that came to observe what we were doing at the founding of our country and in those years as we began to expand westward, weren't too sure that the whole idea of individualism was going to work. Uh, Because the rest of the world had lived and continues to live in community. And so uh, what happened was in the U.S. is that the one saving grace, and this could be argued, I'm not suggesting this is necessarily gospel truth or anything, but the one saving grace we have Is voluntary associations. You want to get something done back in the old days? How'd you get it done? By a voluntary association, (laughs) like a posse. (laughs) I was thinking more like a grange or something. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking something more like that, you know, or or uh, farmers getting together to uh, share. Uh, supplies, or to share tools, or something like that. Some voluntary association such as that. Uh, you think about some of the great uh, associations in our country. That that's what they do. They provide services, and they they uh, provide a means by which we can pool resources and we can work together voluntarily to promote the common good. But it's through our own decision whether or not we want to be a part. We're not forced to do that. At least that was the old idea. And we tend to resist, at least we used to, before we were herded into classrooms and taught to be sheep, we used to tend to resist being told we had to do something. People did. They used to actually resist that idea. That's why there were the people that resisted the idea of uh, an individual mandate for health care. That was why. There were some people that got really upset about that and took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Because there are certain people of a certain age or whatever you want to call it, that actively will resist that in our culture. Because we don't like it. We don't like being told we have to do something by the government like that. That we have to be a part of something that we don't want to be a part of. We don't like it, even if it's for our own good. We don't like it. You can't tell me to do it. It's like seatbelts. You can't make me do it. We're gonna give you. We're gonna give you a ticket. All right. Well, give me a ticket. You can't make me do it. All right? Gonna ride my motorcycle. You gonna put a seatbelt on me? No. I'm gonna make you wear a helmet instead. You more uncomfortable. We don't like it. But the rest of the world doesn't necessarily share those values. Was that too weird? That good was I ranting again? Yes. Okay. But the rest of the world doesn't necessarily share those values. And so they're going to live differently than we do. And and you see people living willingly in community because that's what they're used to. That's what they've been taught. That's what they've known their whole lives. And so these people began to live in community and neighbors. And so it came to pass that they had to ask. Now, I thought it was interesting here that the the instruction was that the women would ask their neighbors. They didn't just give it to them, they had to ask. But when they asked, it was given to them freely. Did you see what happened there? They were asked. They were asked for a contribution. They were asked for presents. And, and God used that, them asking. But I don't, I find it interesting that, that He expected them to ask. Right? Because that's another issue that we have as a as a people, a lot of us do that issue of pride where we won't even ask well, if I gotta ask, I don't want it hmm mm-hmm. people are like that, Nikki. people are <laughs> like that and and it's true though Pete people are like that. <laughs> you've seen that well, We can came in ask. we came in out. I'm not saying you we came and ask. Gotta ask it. Yeah, really? They did. They had to ask. They didn't even tell them they had to ask. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any guests in her house for objects of silver and gold, jewelry and extra clothes. Had to ask. What if they hadn't asked? What do you think? Wouldn't have gotten it. Didn't ask. What's, what's, what's the founding thing? Jesus, when he's teaching about provision in your life. What do you talk about? But, what? What do you got to do? Yeah, seek. If you want to find, what do you got to do? Seek. If you want to receive, what do you got to do? Ask. And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will men given to your bosoms. Overflowing. What do you got to do? Ask. Seek if you want to find. I don't know if we want to just stumble on it. We want to drop out of heaven. I don't know. But the principle here is the same as the principle in Exodus chapter 3. It's the same as the principle throughout the Gospels. If you want something, ask for it. Well, you should have known. Did you ask? Well, I just thought people would know. I don't want to be a bother. Oh, yeah, Well, you know what? God knows, right? He still wants you to ask because there's something in that for you. There's something in the asking part that's for you, not for Him. He knows. Just like people around you might know, but if you don't ask, what are you going to get most of the time? Nothing. Nothing. You're going to get an attitude because people don't care. <laughs> They're too self-centered to even notice. Did you ask? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, do you see the principle I'm bringing up here? I want you to get this part because it's kind of important. This is kind of important. The asking part is for you. You've got to overcome the pride. You've got to overcome Whatever it is that's holding you back. The asking part is on you, for you, and for your benefit to straighten out whatever's wrong in your brain. And I don't even want to get into what's wrong in your brain. But there's something wrong in your brain. If you can't ask, need to ask. And so, refer back to my previous rant about our society. Refer back to that. And and see if maybe some of that hasn't been mixed in with some good intentions, been stirred up in a big pot by your mama or your papa, and fed to you as a baby, and you turned out to be prideful and unwilling to ask for help. Maybe. Maybe. We need to get rid of that. The kingdom doesn't operate on that principle. All right, doesn't operate on that principle. you get rid of that. And I know I, I, I'm not putting down rugged individualism. I'm not great principle. Ra. but we, we, we serve a higher, higher, higher authority. higher authority. And the kingdom of God takes a higher position. In our hearts and our lives, and any of that does. And part of that kingdom, and part of that thinking is, need to ask. Need to ask. And so these women, they, they did, they went and they asked. They were slaves anyway. Is there anything to lose? No. On their way out anyway. Hey, can I have some silver and gold? Can I get some presents? Want to contribute a little bit to our journey? Sure. Loaded them down with silver and gold and jewels and clothing. They left with a plunder of goods. They asked. They asked. A lot of great things happen in my life because I ask. I'm serious. Just by asking. Just by asking. A lot of great things. Have there been those times where somebody says no? Sure. But there's been so many good things that have happened. If a couple knows no's come my way, I don't care. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Totally. And so it says the children, at the end of these verses, it says the children receive the plunder. So, when you're asking, it's not only for you, it's for those that come after you or those that depend on you. You think about the children receiving the plunder, I want you to think about it in two ways. Somebody go to Exodus thirty-five twenty-two. Exodus 35, 22. So I'll give you two ways to think about this, how the children receive the plunder. Exodus 25, 22.
1: 35, 22. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches,
0: dairies, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wake offering to the Lord. Okay, and what happened was is that, that gold was then used in the construction and the materials and in the pots and pans and implements of the tabernacle. And so this asking here in Exodus chapter 3 that was prophesied of and then brought about in Exodus chapter 12 and the plunder that they left with when they left Egypt of gold and silver and jewels and clothing was then used, some of it was used as a free will offering given to God, and then used to build and outfit the the tabernacle. So in a very real way, the children and their children, and the children that would come after them, received the plunder of that day. Why? Because they asked. And so those jewels and that gold and that silver was actually turned into objects, and tools for worship in the tabernacle. Later on. Later on. But it was a perpetual gift that the children would receive. However many generations received it, worshiped, and spent time in the tabernacle. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how there's something started right there that that they believed a word of prophecy that they humbled themselves enough to ask and then through that blessed generations after them to what they received. And those children that left that day when they walked out of Egypt, walked out in beautiful clothing. Not the clothing of slaves, not the clothing of paupers, but they left in fancy, rich people clothing. And that's how they would see themselves. To the point that the children almost had a warped view of what Egypt was really like. Didn't they? Think about later on when they said, "What do they say? Let's go back." It was good there. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but it sure left good. They left on top. All right. And we tend to remember what happens last, right? You can remember what happens first or last, one or the other. All right. And if what happened last was really good, that's what you remember. What do you remember? They're, they're giving us gold and silver and jewels. They're, they clothed us in really fancy clothing as we, as we were leaving. That's awesome. Let's go back there. No, no. They, they forgot the other parts, but they did leave that way. And, and I believe that it changed the, the outlook of how a whole nation saw itself as they were walking out of there. They didn't see themselves as slaves. They saw themselves as rich. They saw themselves as God's people. They saw themselves as loved and taken care of. They saw themselves as provided for. They saw themselves being able to provide for the generations that would come after them. And it all happened in that moment. That moment that we look at here tonight. that, That moment. That word of prophecy that came through Abraham. That word of prophecy that was given to Moses. That word that he wrote down and then it came to pass as he was obedient to what God told him to do. And as all of those women in that nation were obedient to go and ask their neighbors for that gold and that silver and those jewels and they did what they were supposed to do, they left completely differently than they arrived and completely differently than they had lived for 400 years. They left in a different fashion. In that moment, it changed. The Bible talks about, it says, ask of me and I will give you the nation. What does that mean? I want you to to think about what that really means as he speaks that to the church. In this day, as he speaks that to the church, what does that mean to us? Back in the 90s, man, they used to preach this all the time. I'd go to conferences and they'd be talking about this and we would just spend hours in prayer for the nations. Whatever that means to you. But one of the things that I was taught through that and that I still hold to this day, and I know that's a long time ago for everybody, you know, 20-something years ago. One of the things I hold on to with that is is that that's what God says. Ask of me and I will give you the nation. And so I I, I always hold on to that. I'm going to keep asking. And by nations, I, I think of just the people. I think of all the people that I've met, all the people that I've prayed with, all the people that I've, I've been in their homes, all the people that I've sat down and eaten with, all the people that I've run into on trains and buses and in hot places and cold places and that I've had tea with, all the people that have been nice to me, all the people that have been mean to me, all the people that have helped me, all the people that have tried to rob me, but I think of these people that I've run into all across the world, I mean, all over the world. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations. I don't see that as he's he's promising us some political thing, but I see that as people, 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 and that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm asking for: the people. You want to see things change? People, people. The world going to change. Going to change people. You guys remember a book? Uh, if you've ever done the internship, what's the master plan of evangelism? Anybody tell me real quick? Raising up
1: disciples.
0: Raising up disciples. Yeah. Second Timothy two two. All right, that's the master plan of evangelism. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The master plan. One person at a time. One disciple being made at a time. That's it. It's not crusades. It's not shortwave radio. I mean, those can be tools of it, but that's... It it boils down to people need to become disciples, and they'll make disciples of others. That's it. Anybody have any questions? Any comments?
1: I'm just really full cool to hear like praying for people in creation, like the nation, as people rather than like, the country or government. All right. When I remember when we went to Pakistan, and you know, like you think of Pakistan as just like so closed off and you know, just oppressive and harsh, and then going there. And like me the people and seeing Sarah, like it was really hopeful. Right. Like, you know, it's an Islamic republic, know, all over but actually spending time with the people and just seeing, you know, that we have a person over there. Like that's so much more hopeful than looking back at Pakistan as a country and what's around it and government is so harsh and oppressive. Right. And so and then on this end it's kind of cool for me like seeing the international students come in because they're detached. I mean they're attached together but they're detached and it's just you know, they're they're Syrian people or they're Chinese people and right. it's just I don't know. it's just really cool, encouraging and encouraging me to, to pray for them as the people you was know, like bigger
0: Well it's funny I mean you think about we uh, were in Pakistan mm-hmm. we're sitting in our room. Mm-hmm. right? Because a family had taken us in. They, they were they they were giving us out of their lack. Right. They gave to us so that we'd be comfortable. They fed us. They gave us a place to sleep and everything else. We're in our room, and they were coming in one by one so that we could pray and prophesy over them. Mm-hmm. They were that hungry just to hear from God yeah. and be touched by God. And I mean that that's what we're doing, mm-hmm. though. If you think about it, it's like you know so. You know, not looking at the big picture, not looking at okay, we're in an Islamic republic. There's, you know, dudes with machine guns at yeah. the airports, and they gave us such a hard time getting visas to get in there and all that. You look at like that, that picture of it, but the real picture that I look at is like, man, just sitting in a room and have people waiting in line to receive prayer right. and to receive the word of prophecy. That that's people, though. You know, that's people. Part of our philosophy of ministry here. Is based on that notion, though.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. People are people. Yeah. Okay. yeah.
1: It made me think of just the sharing that happened on Sunday with the trip to Australia and then meeting the girl from Germany who lives in the city that is one of the cities Garrett wants to go to in his mm-hmm. it vision. Just, it's just neat to see like God's power connecting people. It's just obviously, just blatantly just. God and people. Right. Talking to people. It's even like um, just using people that are faithful to disciple and i just I don't know, It's just really
0: cool. Yeah and it's i really
1: connecting the dots.
0: Right, and, and I mean governments get in the way. But they always have. I mean you think about Jesus' day, what was getting in the way. I mean you had the Sanhedrin getting in the way, but you also had Pontius Pilate, you also had the Roman government getting in the way. You you have, uh, just even in the history of Israel, I mean just biblically, I'm just looking at biblically, how government's gotten in the way then, and government's getting in the way now. I'm not ripping on anybody's government or anything, I, I mean, whatever. You know, like I was trying to be careful to say, you know, they look terrible to us, but we look terrible to them, and I mean, I, I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm saying we're good, they're bad, or anything else. All I'm saying is, is that's getting in the way of the gospel. That's getting in the way even of our faith sometimes unless we can kind of move aside that in order to see what we're really doing, what you're talking about when we're looking at the people. Because the people, that's what's important. That is what's important. The focus. Anybody else? All right, so there are a couple things I just want to encourage you with. Tonight, one is I want you to believe God. Even if the word doesn't seem like, can you imagine being Moses getting this word? You got one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world. You got one of the most powerful kings in the world. You got stuttering Moses and Aaron. He's sending sending over to to talk him into somehow. Signs and wonders and miracles, talk him into letting these people go. So he's not only saying, you're not only going to talk him into letting them go, or I'm going to perform signs and wonders and miracles, he's going to let them go, he's not going to let them go. They're going to leave like kings and queens and princes and princesses with gold and silver and all kinds of stuff. How unlikely does that sound to you? Super unlikely. 400 years of entrenched slavery. America hasn't even been around for 400 years. Dudes had wooden teeth when America was being founded. The Israelites have been slaves longer than that. They're wearing wigs, right? With wooden teeth, those guys? Right? That was a few years ago. They were slaves longer than that. That's how entrenched that was. They're not even going to get free. They're going to leave with gold, silver, jewels, and fine clothes on when they walk out of there. How does that sound? Crazy? Let's believe God for what He says. Let's believe God for what He says. You'll trample upon snakes and scorpions. You know, you know it's like Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the, the evil one. You see the works of the devil. You keep going down the list of all of those things. Let's start really believing it. Ask. Ask. Do your part. Do your part. Ask. Seek. You'll find. Ask. It'll be given to you. How will it be given to you? Good measures pressed down, shaken together. It will be given to you, but it will be running over. You know, that's the word of provision. Not only provision in your life, but abundance. Where's the start? Where's the start? Ask. Ask. That's to do your part. For the unlikely. Do your part for the miraculous. Do your part for the impossible. Because he's the God of the impossible. He does it. So I really want to encourage you there. I really want to encourage you that tonight. Do your part. What's your part? Ask. Believe him. What he says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that it's a good word. It's a sure word. And I pray, Father, that we will encourage ourselves with your word. If we need to write it down, I pray we write it down. If we need to, uh, if we need to record it. And I pray that we would record it. If we need to somehow listen to it over and over again, we'd listen to it over and over again. If we have to set an alarm and a pop-up on our phone, then we'd do that. If we need to write it on our hand, we'd do that. However we need to do it, I pray that we would encourage ourselves with your word. And I ask you, God, that whatever stands in the way of us asking, that you'd help us to deal with that. Pride issues. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would break through the pride, you would break through the stuff that stands in the way of really just asking, of seeking, and of receiving all that you have for us. God, I pray that we would be a people that receive of you, that receive of your abundance. Abundance. You came that we might have life, and that more abundantly. And so God, I pray that we would set aside a slave mentality. I pray we would set aside a pauper's mentality. I pray that we would set aside whatever is holding us back from living in the true abundance that you have for us. So God, tonight, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for looking out for us. Thank you for your patience. I pray, God, that we would recognize who we are in you, recognize who you are in our lives and i pray father we would find ourselves in the midst of that awesome relationship and all that that means so god tonight thanks we ask that you would lead us guide us bless us we ask it in jesus name amen Amen.
1: good to see everyone